I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm, I'm trying to teach you on many different subjects in the Bible. I've been trying to concentrate on a Strong's Concordance, how you use it properly, the Strong's, how Strong's is correlated, Strong's Concordance, uh, Concordance, if you don't have a strong concordance, you need one. Strong's exhaustive concordance. Get an old one. Because if you get one of these modern ones, they have been abridged and extra definitions have put into them, which I don't like. And I'll show you some of that. And how the Strong's concordance uh, is used with the interlinear Bible. The interlinear Bible is that this is an interlinear Bible right here. Huh? Well, I was talking while I was writing. Y'all got to understand that I I can't write when I'm talking. Interlinear Bible. <laughs> All right. Well, the interlinear Bible is different than the Strong's Concordance. The Strong's Concordance, Mr. Strong will give you one word, not all the different words for a word. It's like you've got 24 ways just to spell the in the Strong's. Whenever you find a or an, and that's never in the Strong's. You've, in the English, you've got the, a definite article, a and an, which are indefinite articles. You can have a car or an apple. Well, that you don't have that in the in the interlinear Bible. The interlinear Bible has, if it's Old Testament. <clears throat> It's got the square letters. It reads from right to left. In the New Testament, the one we're mostly interested in, which I am interested in the old, but the in the New Testament, it's got the Greek on the top line and the English right under it. Well, I'm not really interested in the English and the interlinear Bible other than for one reason. That's to locate the Greek word. Once I locate the Greek word, I write it down on paper and I only use the English words to reference it, but I don't believe in the, I don't necessarily embrace the meaning of the English words in the interlinear. That's just for location. I never pay any attention to the copy in the middle of it or on the side, because usually that's not saying what it's saying in the Greek. Now, Mr. Strong will give you I'm going to put it on the board again so you'll understand. He will give you, here you've got singular plural for a word. You've got singular plural. Then you've got the cases, masculine and feminine, excuse me, got the genders, masculine and feminine, neuter gender in the singular, masculine and feminine, neuter gender in the plural. Masculine means male. Masculine, male. Feminine, female. Neuter means it's not male or female. It's a thing. 
your car is neutered gender unless you call her Betsy. <laughs> That's the only time she'd be female. Or your boat is Betsy. Uh, so neutered gender would be a desk or a floor or a candlestick or a book. That's neutered gender. Her or she would be male or female. Then you have the cases, nominative, genitive, genitive, dative, accusative case. And in certain words, you've got a vocative case. That gives you 27 ways to spell good. But there's two common words for good in the Greek text. One is the word agathos. And the other is the word kalos. Unto him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not, to him it is sin. Well, that word kalos is also translated honest. Honest. This is the word good in Romans 8 and 28. Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good. It's not this same word, but if you are... if Good, agathos, means beneficial. Of course, what is beneficial that God does in our life is honest. It is unto him that knoweth to do good. So, C-I-L. <laughs> C-I-L. Beneficial. So, but in this word, agathos, which is the word good, is in Romans 8 and 28, it's got 20... You got 24 plus 3 is 27 ways just to spell good. All that Mr. Strong will give you is agathos. That's all he gives you. So you're not going to know whether it's feminine gender, neuter gender, masculine and feminine neuter in the plural. And a vocative case is a direct address. If you said good, that's good. So all Mr. Strong gives you nominative, masculine, Singular. That's all you get out of Strong's. That's why it's important when you. I've had guys get in linear and they'll try to study it by reading the Greek by English text under the words. That's not going to help you. You need to go and find out what word it is, and it'll be spelled different, just like the is different. When you see ho, you say that looks like an O. Well, it's got a diacritical mark in front of it, and that's a. Ha! Huh. Breathing sound. So, ho, to, to, ton, masculine, singular. Nominative case is either the subject or the predicate nominative. That's not deep. That's ninth grade English about 1953. That's all it is. So, so that's all I'm trying to... Predicate nominative, I'll go ahead and give it to you again. Jim is the pastor. A predicate nominative is the same thing in the predicate that equals the subject, and it always calls for a being verb or a helping verb. A being verb. That's a predicate nominative. The two main sentences that you need to learn is the one with a predicate nominative and the one with a direct object. Jim through the ball. Is that true in Greek? Yes. They wouldn't have all those parts of speech if it wasn't. 
through is an action verb, always with a direct object. You have an action verb. Got two kinds of verbs, being verbs and action verbs. Being and action. Being is sometimes called helping because it helps the action. Sometimes Jim is throwing the ball. So it's helping throwing. You see what I'm saying? Helping throwing ball. And do you need this? Well, you do if you want to get into some deeper studies. If you want to stay ignorant, fine. Go ahead and stay ignorant. Now, so, genitive case, that shows possession. Possession. I always like my favorite genitive case is baptism of repentance. When you look up of repentance, it will always say, of repentance is one word, and it will say genitive case. That means that true baptism belongs to repentance. That repentance owns baptism. So it cannot possibly be water just by the case. Can't be. Has to be death to self. So then you got dative and accusative case. The dative case is the indirect object. Jim threw the ball to John. Or Jim threw John the ball. He didn't throw John. He threw the ball to John. That's the that would be the dative case. I'm giving you something simple so you can remember it. And then the so that's the dative case and the accusative case is the direct object. Jim threw the ball. That's the direct object. But it depends on masculine uh, masculine gender, feminine, neuter in the singular, masculine and feminine, neuter in the plural. That's that's not as hard as what you think once you get to looking up these words. Now I've I've said that because I want to say this several times so everybody will understand it. I'm going to give you the alphabet one more time. One more time today. The alphabet is like our alphabet. It's not hard to learn. I had somebody say, how can I know the alphabet? I said, do you have a Strong's Concordance? She said, yes. I said, it's in your Strong's. All you have to do is open up your Strong's back to the Greek dictionary in the back. You go to the Greek dictionary and they go to the first page of your Greek dictionary. First page, every Strong's has the alphabet in it. Hold on, let me get this up. That's Old Testament. Won't find it there. All right. Here it is right here. The first page of your Greek dictionary in the back. Right here. It will have. Right here. First page. It's got this alphabet up here on the board. The alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, so forth to the end. It has it in your concordance. But let me go through it one more time. 
it starts just like our alphabet, except it doesn't say A, B, C, D. It says A, B, G, D. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, A, B, G, D. The G looks like a little short stubby Y. That's a G. The reason the G becomes the B and the D is because the people who invented it were here first, okay? So they can put the G where they want to. And then the D looks like our D, like you're going to make our D. Instead, it just curls up and goes around. So that's a D, and this is... Always remember, I cut it off like this, A, B, G, D. And then I've got E, Z, E. Always remember, easy. Easy. E, Z, E. This is a shorty. E, like met. This is a Z. The Z is there for the same reason the G is there, because they were here first, so they could put it where they wanted to. This is a Z. It's pronounced D, Z. When you see so, it looks like sozo, but it's sozo. That's the word saved, saved. And then you have, you have easy e. This is a long e, like they, they. Everywhere you find eta on the end of a word, are like eta sigma, eta, eta nu. That's always feminine gender. That's why, gosh, I don't need to go into that. That'll take me a while. To, I'll, I'll just skip that for right now. It's in my mind. Y'all have to excuse me. Now, so then we go to theta. A theta, T-H-L-I-B-O. Well, I think it's an omega. Thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O, is the word, this is an L. Thalibo is the word, narrow is the way. Narrow. So you got T-H. Then you get to our alphabet. So if you can remember A, B, G, D, easy, and a theta. Theta is a T-H, but it's not two letters in the Greek. It's one letter. Just like these three other letters at the end of the alphabet, the PH, the CH, and the PS. The PH here is PH. That's one letter. It's the phi. It's pronounced phi. It looks like phi, but it's pronounced phi. Phi, key, and pze. Pronounced P-S-E-E. This is pronounced C-H-E-E. This is pronounced P-H-E-E, phi, key, and pze. But this is the letter in phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O. That's just one letter, P-H-I-L-E-O. And the key, that's the word in crest. But there's so many words that start with C-H-R-I-O, that's the word anoint, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S. And it looks like an X, but it's not. This is an X here. So let me get back here. E, Z, E, a T-H, and then you got phi, key, and pz, which are also two letters in alphabet. That's one, and this is one letter. P-H, a T-H, the Lebo. Then you have our alphabet. You already know what's from here 
down to here. Except there are no J's and no Q's. Forget J, forget Q. No J's, no Q. So you got I, no J, K, L. L looks like an upside down Y. Just think of taking your L and taking this part here, this upright, and lean it backwards and bring that leg and put it right under it and make it lean back. That's your L. And you got M looks like an upside down H with a little curly Q on it. So that's an M. An N looks like a V, and your X is called a kazee. Kazee. X-E-N-O-S. Kazee-nos. This is not this key here. This is, in our translation, that would be the X or kazee. X-E-N-O-S is the word strange. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which shall try you. X-E-N-I-Z-O is the word stranger, an occasional guest. Then you've got X. So you've got I-K-L-M-N-X. The X has the same privilege that Z and G has. Since they were here first, they don't have to put that on the end of the alphabet. So X is here. O-P-R. Looks like pi, and it is. This is an Omicron. It pronounced O like a not. It's, a, it's an O. It's a short O. P is our word pi, but it's pronounced P. So that's a P. Uh, and then you've got an R is like our R, except you just knocked the front leg off and you got the Greek R. An S in the middle of the word is like this. I should have had them to put S on the end of the word is like our S, but the small curl is smaller. Then you got T-U. So you got I-K-L-M-N-X-O-P-R-S-T-U. You already know that. T looks like our T, looks like U looks like our U. This is the way you can look up words in the interlinear Bible and get the exact spelling. What good is that going to do you? Well, you need to get an inter- get an analytical lexicon. I've got one up here and it's staring at me and I can't see it. But uh, it's an analytical lexicon. It gives you all the parts of speech. I've got it up here somewhere. I should have left it out. It'll give you all the parts of speech. Oh, here it is. And you look the word up, and it'll tell you if it's a verb, if it's past tense. How am I going to know if it's past tense? It'll say A-O-R-I-N-D. Aristindicative means past tense. But there's three kinds of past tense verbs, but I won't go into those now. Now, you can look at an analytical lexicon. You look at how it's spelled in the interlinear Bible. Look the word alphabetically, but you can't do that unless you memorize this alphabet. Once you memorize the alphabet, and it, it may take you a while. You can look over at your alphabet and look at the word, and you can look at it alphabetically in here. The A, anything that starts with an A, will be at the front of this front of this book. And if it starts with a K, it'd be in the middle of it. 
And it'll tell you if it's a participle, if it's a verb. I don't understand participles. Well, it's not as hard as what you think. A participle is an adjective. It's a verbal adjective. I won't go into that. I've gone into that before. But it's just adjectives how tell which, what, kind of, how many. And they modify nouns and pronouns. And I'm not teaching you college English. I'm telling you ninth and 10th grade English from the ninth and 10th grade in 1952, 53, 54. I, some reason I learned it when I went into my... All right. Then you get on down to the end. R-S-T-U. Phi, key, phi, and omega. This is a long O. It's pronounced O. This is a short O. It's pronounced Ah, much like the alpha. Ah. Now that's basically the alphabet. Is that helping? Does that help you, Teresa? It's not hard to learn. If you do, you know the alphabet. Well, then you ought to be able to learn this. But you got to learn the characters and what they are. That way, you can look up a word. Greek teachers want to think. They want to tell you it's too hard to learn, and that they don't need to teach that to you from the pulpit. I do not agree with that at all. I mean, I keep saying this. How hard could Greek be? Every five and six year old in the first century was speaking it, saying "Mama" or "Daddy," "Abba." That's the word "Daddy." "Ab" is the word "Father." Now, I'm trying to teach you what the Bible says about things. There's something I want to teach you out of out of the. Basics of Biblical Greek. I'm not going to get real intricate because I'm not an authority on this. All I do is look words up and what they mean when I look at something. But let me tell you a secret. If you ask a Greek teacher if something's a verb or if it's a noun, usually unless they're familiar with the verse like you'll hear me say some things I'm familiar with, they have to look it up. Believe it or not, that's what they do. They look it up. Let me just say this to you. Nobody, no Greek teacher, knows the parsing on one page, just one page of an interlinear Bible. He doesn't know all these words He may know some of them, but he doesn't know all of them on every page of the New Testament. They have to look it up. I've asked them, and they'd look it up. Now, and what I want you to learn is that you can learn a minimum out of these things, and uh, it'll help you to learn it. Now, I want to show you something that Mr. Mount says. He says some things I don't agree with. He said that the orge, O-R-G, 
Ada. Remember I said the Ada on the end of a word is feminine gender? When you look that up, or gay, that's the common word wrath. But it's feminine wrath. And it means the wrath and anger of a covetous man when somebody's cheated him and he wants to get even. That would be the way to put it. Or he's got wrath in him. He's got orgay and he wants to get you back. Well, the Bible says God hath not appointed us to wrath. Now, they have built an entire doctrine on two verses. First Thessalonians 1 and 9. One and, excuse me, five and nine. Thank you. <laughs> I get things on my mind. First Thessalonians five and nine and Revelation 16 and one. They have built a doctrine on this. First Thessalonians five and nine. And there, those people who live in a, in a, Mid-tribulation rapture have taken these two verses, Revelation 16 and 1. Now, in the English, this would confuse you because First Thessalonians 5 and 9 says, God has not appointed us to wrath. God has not appointed us to orgay. But in English it says wrath. And then in Revelation 16 and 1, the Bible says, right before the seven angels pour out their vials of wrath upon the earth, the vials of wrath, it says, the wrath of God was poured out by these angels, the wrath of God. Now, that word wrath is not the same word as here. But people will say, see, God hadn't appointed us to wrath. And before the wrath is poured up on the earth, therefore God has to rapture us at a mid-tribulation rapture. Well, unless you look up this word, unless you look up this word, this word is thumu, T-H-U-M-O-U, and it's masculine gender. And this word is orgay over here, and that's feminine gender. They're not even the same genders, much less the same word. How can you build a doctrine on that? They built it on an English word. God hasn't appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Well, obtain is to obtain is a word in the Greek, peripoesis, P-O-I-E-S-I-S. Perhaps you recognize those two words. Anytime you find peri, it means around. You'll get used to seeing that. In fact, when the Bible says that uh, in Ephesians, 2 and 10. The Bible speaks of... Well, read that with me. Let's just look at it together. 
the reason and people never get to this verse Ephesians 2 because they look at 2 and 8 and they say for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works not of works not of works not of works and they get stuck on not of works they say works has nothing to do with salvation and that's not true when you look up works in a concordance and you go over to the book of James the Bible says faith without works is dead faith without works works is dead works is the word ergon and there are good works the Bible says we are his workmanship workmanship is the word p-o-i-e-m-a poema is a form of that word poesis but to obtain salvation and poeo means it's not the same word as ergon Ergon means to toil or labor. And when the Bible says not of works, it means not of toil or labor. But we are his workmanship. Poema and ergon are not the same word. Poema means something that's made beautiful. Or something that's like a mosaic. Or something that's like a tapestry. So when God, this work here, He's created us in Christ Jesus unto good works. Good works is the word poema, or excuse me, we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto agathos, agathos, this is Ephesians 2.10. This is one of my favorite verses concerning salvation that works. Ephesians 2.10. Everybody's Ephesians familiar with 2.8 and 9. Grace you save through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of ergon. But it is a poema. Poeo means something beautiful, mosaic, or we're created in Christ unto good ergon. So there are good ergon, and there is bad ergon. The works of the flesh are these. The ergon of flesh are these in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and it begins with adultery, fornication. That's the works, that's the ergon of the flesh. So there are bad ergon, and there's good ergon. The good ergon is agathos, and agathos means beneficial ergon. And that's the work that God does in us, agathos. That's that word right there. Nominative, masculine, singular. He creates us unto good ergon. So therefore, let me get back to what I was talking about. God has not appointed us to wrath. The word appointed, tithemai, T-I-T-H-E-M-I. That's a common word. You're going to find that all through the New Testament. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay my life down. That word lay is the word tithemai. 
It's all through the scriptures in the New Testament. It means to lay or lie down or to level something. So, in fact, euthus, E-U-T-H-U-S, comes from you and tithemai. It means a well leveling. And that's the word that's used in Hebrews 1 and 8 when he's we have been given a rabdos, a a leveling and the way we rule people it's with a sword of righteousness the common word righteousness is not the word euthus but that's the word in Hebrews 1 and 8 we've been given a a rabdos, a ruling iron, rabdos, of righteousness. The common word righteous, this is why you got to look words up. The common word righteous that we're always using is not this word euthus. The common word is D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. That's the common word righteousness all through the New Testament. It means righteousness. And he that doeth righteousness is righteous. Well, they will all be connected in some fashion. When you do righteousness, you do D-I-K-A-I-O-O. And D-I-K-A-I-O is the word justify. And it means to render innocent or to render right. And you get the word right from D-I-K-A-O. D-I-K is the stem of the word. That's what everything is built on. So D-I-K-A-O comes from D-I-K-E. And that is the word right. But that would be equated to this word euthus because euthus means a well leveling and we have been given a rod of, or a scepter, scepter, which is the word rabdos. It's also the word rod when it's translated a rod of righteousness. And that word scepter of euthus comes from you. Antitheme. It means a well you. Tithame means leveling. Well, that has the basic same meaning as being righteous because when we bow to the will of God, we level to his will. And that has to do with... I've had several incidents out in public where I would witness somebody. And I was in real estate for years and... I knew a lot of the real estate agents and uh, there was a lady that was right next to my my office at one of the big companies here. And I went over next door and she was going to write something and she shook the pen and said, this damn pen won't work. I said, I didn't know that God would damn pens. I knew he damned souls. She said, don't start with me, Jim Brown. I said, I won't start if you don't start. And that's ruling with the scepter of righteousness made her nervous. 
another agent I worked with, I run into him in Ace Hardware. And he was back in the back of Ace Hardware, and he was just a loud mouth, boisterous, always trying to make jokes. He said, I've been listening to you on the radio. How in the hell do you learn those words? I said, well, I don't learn them in Hellville. What I do is step night and day, night and day, and, and I'm always studying. And he knew I was going to get him just for that. So I waited till he got up front. I went up front with him. I started talking about Jesus and God and directing it right at him. And embarrass him, he's wanting to crawl out of the building. You see, you can cuss at me in public. I'll make something out of it, out of the Bible. Another, I was down picking up a kid, one big company, and a guy come out, and he was a loud mouth, know-it-all, retired sergeant from the uh, Marines, and just come out cussing up a blue streak. And uh, he said, I feel really good today. And there was three plastic women sitting on the couch waiting for their, I'm talking about how you use the scepter of righteousness. And he come out and said, I feel great today. I said, well, you must have Jesus in your heart. That embarrassed him so bad that I would say Jesus in front of those three plastic women, real estate agents, they look plastic. Then he started cussing. I said, well, I can tell you don't have Jesus in your heart by what's coming out of your mouth for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, I got to leave. He nearly ran out of the room like some king was in the room because he was. He was in my heart. That's how you rule with the scepter of righteousness. But you better be ready to defend with the word of God. Memorize these words and learn them. And then use them. If all you know is three of them, use them. It terrifies people because they don't know what any Greek words mean. Now, so when the Bible says, He hath not appointed us to our own anger and rage. That's what our gay means. Now, Mr. Mr. Mouth, I completely disagree with him on this. He says the orgay can be God's anger. No, it cannot. God is not a female. I don't agree with him. That was his opinion on that. Greek teachers will know the Greek, but it doesn't mean they know enough of the Bible. And I trust Mr. Mouse because he's pretty good on most things, except I don't agree with him on the orgay because the orgay is not thumu. And it's not the same gender. How could they build a mid-trib rapture on that? Well, God's got to take us out before the wrath of God falls on those because the Bible says He wouldn't appoint us to wrath. But means, instead of the orgay, instead of getting in your rage and anger and revenge, God has appointed you to something that makes around you. There's only one thing that makes around you. That is a blood baptism. That's the exact opposite of losing your temper and going to a rage with your orgay. And that's death to self. So when somebody cheats you, you say, well, I'll learn not to deal with them. If they lie to you, you say, well, I'll have to stay away from them. That's pulling away from people that walk disorderly. This thing of orgay is just about destroyed all of it, hasn't it? 
when we get into a rage over something. God hadn't appointed us to that. And you know what they do when they miss this in First Thessalonians 5 and 9? They miss exactly what's going on and what God is saying. So that shows you I don't always agree with the Greek teachers. And the main reason I don't agree with Greek teachers, that's not the only time that Oge is mentioned. Oge is mentioned over and over and over again. It's the wrath and the rage of a man. I'll just give you a couple other places it's used. I've told, showed you these before, but if you go over to Romans, the first chapter. Romans, the first chapter. You, you've got to prove Scripture with Scripture. And you've got to get the definition of it. And you've got to look at the gender of it. You've got to look at whether it's masculine, feminine, neuter, gender. That shows you this on the orge here and the thumu here. Doesn't it? That's not even hard to understand, is it? If it is, tell me. Can you understand that? It's not hard. One is feminine, the other is masculine. How can they be the same thing? They can't. Then he says here in Romans 1, this will show you where the orge comes from. comes from God. How in the world does God put rage and anger on a man? I'll show you. You've got to keep everything in context. He says here in Romans 1, 18, for the wrath that is of God, the orge that is of God, is revealed from heaven against all, against all ungodliness. That word wrath is the word orge. And it's revealed from heaven, apocalypto, the cover's taken off, and it's revealed against all ungodliness, except the problem is, the word is not against. It's the word epi. It's a common prefix, epi. It means a bone. God has revealed the orge upon all ungodliness and unrighteous men. How does he do that? It's not hard. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness the revenge and anger of a common man that does not know God will come will come upon him. And when you look over here in in the third chapter of Romans, here's that word again. This is why it's important to learn the gender of a word, whether it's masculine and feminine or neuter gender. And I I brought out last week. The beast was like a lion, a bear, and a leopard there in Revelation 13 chapter. We saw the lion, bear, and leopard in the Old Testament was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome, the beast with iron teeth. We saw that, didn't we? Well, the, in Revelation 13, the translators, do you trust the translators? No, I don't. That's why I want to go into the Greek and do a lot of the translating for myself. But I have to have an interlinear Bible to do that. And I've got, got to have an analytical lexicon to do that. 
do you do that fast, Jim? No, I don't do it fast. I, I go to the Word and write it down on paper, get my analytical lecture out, take my time going through it, finding the Word, and it'll say, N-E-U-T, gender. And when it says the beast, the beast is neuter gender. The beast in Revelation 13. But the King James Bible says it's a masculine gender, and it's not. When you go into the interlinear Bible, it'll show you it's neuter. It says the beast, Tothurion. When you look that up, it's neuter gender. And then it says... The dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his great authority. All the his and the hems are A-U-T-O-U. When you go into Mr. Uh, Mounts' book and you look up, you look up Moo, Atu, they said it has to be masculine or neuter gender. It depends upon the antecedent. You say antecedent sounds hard to remember. It's not. An antecedent is merely the noun or the pronoun that another pronoun refers back to. Jim went to the store. She bought a loaf of bread. Well, that's wrong. Jim is not a she, it's a he. The antecedent of he is Jim. That's the noun it refers back to. That's an antecedent. A-N-T-E-C-E-D. You use antecedents every day. You use them every day. Where did your husband go? Well, he went to the church. He is referring back to husband. Where'd your husband go? Well, she's not here. That's what they say in the homosexual community. But we don't say it here. So this is the antecedent. The antecedent of all the hymns and his is, is the beast, which is neuter gender. It says he and him in a King James Bible. That's wrong. In an interlinear Bible, it says it. So is it worth looking at it? It's the same it that it was in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 talks about the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard. Same thing. So you've got to match up Old Testament with New. When these guys say these things... And all these people are looking for a man to be the beast. It's not a man. It's a world ruling system. What if I said new world order? Whew. That brings it down to us, doesn't it? The first time I heard George Bush use new world order, I went, whoa. Oh, man. That's what they're working for right now. That's why they're trying to change times and laws. Exactly what Daniel 7, Daniel 8 says they would do. They'll change times and laws. Now I've got to give you something that this is out of... Now I agree with a lot of things he says. But when he starts an opinion on Orgay, well I hadn't finished Orgay. When he starts an opinion on Orgay, let me give you Orgay one more time. 
In Romans 3, verse 5, and it says, the last sentence says, Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I'm sorry it doesn't say that in the in the interlinear Bible. Taketh is the word epipharo. Epi is a common word we've talked about a thousand times. Epi-P-H-E-R-O. In fact, epi is the same word in Acts 2. Acts 2. When Peter preaches and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name. That word in is epi. Epi means to superimpose, superimpose, or cover with, cover with. That cannot mean water, and the word name is the word onoma. It means authority. Cover with God's authority. God's authority is a word. That's his spirit. That's a spiritual baptism. The spirit is truth. Cover with the truth with the word of God. And Pharaoh, that word epi, Pharaoh, means to place upon. So back to that verse in 5 of chapter 3 of Romans. Is God unrighteous who places it doesn't who places upon man vengeance. The word vengeance is not vengeance, it's orgay. What it means, revenge when a man is covetous, so he wants to take vengeance, so he's involved in the orgay. But the word vengeance is orgay. So that more or less verifies what the orgay is. God places the Vengeance upon man, which is his orgay. Orgay has been everybody's problem in the world, hasn't it? Getting angry at somebody, something's doing to you. We're to have zeal for God. Zeal comes from zealous. Or zelao. It's our word zealous. And it means to be heated up. You can either be heated for God are against man and we're to have a zealous zealousness for God. So is God unrighteous who places the orgay upon man? No. And one other, I'll give you one of my favorite verses. Now I've given it to you already, but I'm going to give it to you again because I'm showing you what some of these books say. In Hebrews three and 11. He's not talking about God's revenge. He's talking about the orgay. Hebrews 3 and verse 11. Now he's talking about harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the wilderness. But the people who did the provoking was Israel when they murmured against Moses and Aaron. And they're provoking God they're provoking God by their actions. And then he says, So I swear in my wrath. doesn't say my wrath. 
It doesn't say that in the interlinear Bible. It says tay or gay. It says thee, I swore the wrath of the people. It wasn't God's wrath. He brought that upon man. It says tay. O R G Ada. Feminine, feminine. It says thee wrath. Now it was not God's wrath, but it was placed upon man by God. But the thing is they didn't put this other word in the interlinear. It will say right after the wrath it'll say M O you moo it means of me the wrath of man came from me God said well this is a part of predestination most of the predestinations don't like the wrath of man comes from God if man is only angry because God put it in him how did he put it in him it's really very simple. When Satan or the dragon and a third of the angels was cast into the earth, the angels were cast into hell, reserved unto the judgment. When Satan is cast in the earth, he corrupted everything in the earth and in the stars. The stars are not clean in his sight. The heavens are not clean. The Bible says that. And the earth is not clean. Then God picked up Adam. He picked up the dust of the ground and formed Adam out of corrupt dust. So when he created Adam out of corrupt dust, and Adam has children, they have children, this corruption, this sin nature goes to everyone. This is not original sin. Original sin is a Roman Catholic doctrine. Original sin says the penalty of the father is visited upon the penalty of their children. The penalty is not, but the nature is because Adam was made of a sinful nature. That's how God placed the wrath upon the sons of men and how he's not going to redeem anybody unless he wants to and get rid of that rage and that orgay and that anger. Now, I've got to get on this because I've got to show you something. So when he says, I swear in the wrath, it doesn't. They took the definite article, the, and translated it into possessive pronoun, my. Was that wrong? Absolutely. The translators were wrong. You can't translate the into my, but they did. And you'll find it in the interlinear. You won't find it. I use the King James because it comes from the text or Sisaptus or from the TR. That's why I use it. Don't believe in the Westcott and Hart, which out, out of that comes, out of that comes uh, the NIV, the RSV, Revised Standard Version, American Standard. Don't believe in that. Now I've got to show you something here. Show you something that has confused a lot of preachers, and they don't have any idea what it means. 
I know what it means because I know what I have studied some things about the Pharisees. Now, once you go over here to First Corinthians, first chapter. All right. And I'm going to give you something that Mr. Mounts will tell you. Well, I'm in the wrong book. Hold on. Sometimes I I got so many things on my mind. I'm like the guy that said, what do you got on your mind? I got so many things I'm trying to think of. If I say the wrong verse, you know when I say in Luke the first second chapter I'm talking in Leviticus the second chapter I'm talking about Luke. Especially if I'm talking about Mary, I've done that. And I'm going. What am I talking about? And I watch it on TV. I've got L on the mind. Luke and Leviticus, or Galatians and Genesis. They've got G's on the first of the word. See, y'all forgive me for being a human, okay? <laughs> All right. This really bothers people. When I say that baptize, baptize, baptize comes from baptizo and bapto. Baptizo means to cover has the basic same meaning or to whelm has the basic same meaning as the word epi Peter commanded them to be baptized in covering with to whelm means to cover with to cover with to whelm something to overwhelm means to cover something now Babto, when I first saw this in a Strong's Concordance, it bothered me. I didn't know what to do with it. Babto means to stain or to die, and your concordance will tell you that. Now, there's a man named Girdlestone. Girdlestone, he's a great scholar. Howard Baker, William Baker Girdlestone. Mr. Girdlestone will tell you that babto, baptizo, had a twofold meaning. It meant to cover and to stain with the dye. He said that we didn't have a word they could go into and translate it to. And then a blood baptism was a death. When Jesus asked James and John, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? He's going to die just the next day. He's talking about his death. Are you able to die the death and be martyred for me? They said, yes, and he said, you both will die the death. He was foretelling their death for preaching truth. So baptize means to be martyred. And you can look up in your McClinican song, look up blood, look at the very end of the article, and it will tell you a blood baptism was a martyrdom, was a death. 
I don't believe in water. Where does the water come from? The water baptism was a proselyte. Let me put it this way. Water baptism or water washing was a water washing. It was a it was a Pharisee It was a naturalization process that was implemented into into Israel by the Babylonian rabbis. Babylonian rabbis. Rabbi means master or teacher. How did it end up Babylon? What is Babylon? Babylon is the same thing as we call Iraq. Let me see here. It's the same thing as Iraq. This is Iraq, right next door here. Right here. Here is Jordan. This is Syria. Here is Israel. Lebanon is right above Israel. That's what we call Tyre and Sidon. So when Israel was carried away into Babylon, that was about 650 miles away, Northern Israel was carried off into what we call Armenia, up here into the Caucasus Mountains. The Caucasians come out of Japheth. Japheth was the firstborn son of Noah. Shem was the secondborn son. And Ham was the thirdborn son. The descendants of Ham migrated down here into Egypt and down here into Ethiopia. Shem's family migrated down here into what we call, uh, down here into Iraq, this is also Babylon, where the Euphrates River runs down here, and the Tigris runs down, and they meet about 100 miles north of the Persian Gulf. Well, that's where we had that war in the early 90s, the little short, weak war. And uh, so Israel was carried away over here into Babylon. When they were carried away, why were they carried away? Because that was the fourth judgment. God says if you go after other gods, and he, when they come out of the wilderness for 40 years, he, he tells them, if you go after other gods, I'll send these four judgments. I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence. Then I'll send the beast, which will be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And they will carry you away into captivity. Well, they kept going after, during the time of the judges, they were going after Baal and the grove and Shemosh and Molech and all those sun and tree goddesses, Baal and the grove. I just say Baal and the grove. That included all the gods of Egypt that they went after, all the gods of the, of the Syrians. They went after all these. 
And so all the time they're a nation from First Samuel through Second Chronicles, this was what the Jews called kingdom of God. And they kept this particularly from First Kings all the way through Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. They kept going after all of these sun and tree gods, which is the same thing that Constantine, and I'm still talking about how water baptism came into Israel. It hasn't, I haven't separated from the subject. People say you're chasing rabbits. I'm not chasing rabbits. I'm trying to give you the whole story. So, they're carried away into Babylon. Northern Israel was carried away into Syria in 722 B.C. And you can find those Syrian kings in Second, Second Kings 17 through 19. And in Second Chronicles, you'll find it all through Second Chronicles up into the 32nd through the 34th chapter. And 36 is where southern Judah is carried away. So southern Judah, after northern Israel is carried away, southern Judah is carried away into Babylon. I'm telling you not only how, where this water baptism came from by the Pharisees, the men that started when they were in Babylon... They had been rebellious while they were over here in Israel. A certain group of men took it upon themselves, possibly some of the priests that came out of Levi, or the high priests come out of Aaron. Levi was the third son of Jacob, third son. Notice how all this stuff goes together. When they got over here into Babylon... I hope I have time to get through this. How much time do I have, Mike? 27. I don't know if I'll have time to get through this. But I really want to show you why Paul said what he said in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. I've heard preachers talk in a circle about this, and they don't have any idea why Paul said, I thank God I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Why would he say, I thank God I baptized what he would say was he saying, "I'm thank God I didn't preach the blood baptism." No, that's not what he's saying. But you have to know where this water baptism came from. It was a Pharisee naturalization process. The Pharisees said you had to be circumcised, washed in water, that they called a new birth, and that you that you had to offer two turtle doves. You had to offer two turtle doves in order to become a citizen of Israel. But if you came from some foreign country, you had to leave all your money behind if you was over here in Greece. You want to come to Israel and become a member of the kingdom of God, you had to leave your your property behind, sell your house, get rid of it. You can't even bring the money with you. Have to come naked to Israel. Nothing but the clothes on your back. And then when you got there, this was a part of what they organized in Babylon. 
When you got there, you had to be circumcised if you're a Gentile. You had to be circumcised, washed in water that they called a new birth and offered two turtle doves at the temple. Jesus mothered, this was in the law, circumcision, and the two turtle doves was in the law that they had to offer after their after the woman had a 40-day, 40-day, that they set themselves aside and they were purified over this 40 days. And then Mary comes to Jerusalem in Luke, the second chapter, to offer the two turtle doves after her quarantining, being quarantined for 40 days, which was in the law. Well, so Jesus was circumcised and his mother offered two turtle doves. They inserted the Pharisees. They were called the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, meaning master or teacher. Jesus said, call no man your rabbi, but, but your father in heaven. Call nobody father. So they inserted this and they took the the brazen sea, they called it a sea because it had 2,000 baths. All the priests, when they went to offer their daily sacrifices, either in the temple, you got the candlesticks, had the table of showbread, had the altar of incense, and they would, they would come and offer their daily sacrifices on this altar. They'd come back and wash their hands and their feet and they implemented this, hands and feet. But in the morning, before they went to sacrifice, there were spigots on this brazen sea, and they would go and wash all over. As they offered sacrifice, they'd wash their hands and their feet. The hand washing is another thing that they implemented into this proselyte process. And they had all these laws, what they said we have to do. When they got into into Babylon, this was in 586 B.C., they were carried away. And then Babylon was overthrown by Persia, the Persian bear, in 586 B.C. Not 586, 539. 539. And then in 538, God comes down upon Cyrus, the king of Persia, comes to his mind by the Spirit of God and implants in his mind to send Israel back to rebuild their temple. And you'll find that that's the beginning of the start of the 70 weeks of Daniel, 538, 520, and 5. 40, excuse me, 557, 56 B.C. And that's where they were given by Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, I'll just call him Art, to go back and rebuild their temple. And then a fourth decree was given by Artaxerxes in 444, to go back and rebuild the city that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed and burnt to the ground. 
So these were all Persian. Persia was Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and so forth. Now, so they were given that. And they said, what we have to do when they were in Babylon, we've got to bring the law over here. And the Jews called their law Torah. The Torah was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what we call Pentateuch, P-E-N-T-E-T-E-U-C-H. Pentateuch. That means, Pent means five. It was the first five books of the Bible. They called it Torah. So they said we have to translate Torah as a way to live over here in Babylon. So what they did, they translated it, and they called the translation Targum. T-R-G-U-M. And in that translation, they bring it over here, and they have to translate it from Hebrew over to Babylonian Aramaic. They had a different dialect of the Aramaic throughout the world. So they had Babylonian Aramaic, and since it was Aramaic, they said... They organized a system of worship over in Babylon. They called it synagogue, S-Y-N-A-G-O-G-U-E. Comes from Sun and Ago. Ago means to lead together. It actually means assembly of God. That's not a good thing to call yourself. Because the synagogue was corrupt. When they got back to Israel... They had synagogues and the temple of God. The temple is the only thing that was righteous. The synagogues were not. When Paul would go to a synagogue on Saturday, it certainly wasn't to worship. It was to correct the Pharisees about what they did in Babylon. And what they did, they translated the 613 laws that they said were in the Torah. Now, if I counted them, I might count a different number, but but I have to take a long time to count them. Do I trust the Pharisees to believe that there were 613? Whatever there was, they translated over, and they said, since this was Hebrew over here, and this is Aramaic over here, we have to explain what these verses meant that we're translating over. So what they came up with, they came up with methurgimen. Methurgimen were more or less interpreters of what that law meant. So what they did, they came up with came up with something called Halakha and Haggadah. The Halakha was a verbal law. Verbal law. And they said it could not be written down. No writing. But it could be spoken aloud. And the Haggadah was a written commentary. 
and it could not be spoken aloud. This is crazy. This was done by the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, and they had a head rabbi, had some real famous guys, a man named Simon the Just, another one called Maimonides, M-A-I-O-N-I-D-E-S, some pronounce it Maimonides. These were some real famous heads of the Babylonian synagogue. When you go to the synagogue out here on West End, they teach halakha out there. They do not teach Old Testament. So when they were out, what they were doing, any head rabbi that came in, he could add his opinions to what they had already come up with. It didn't matter how liberal he was. They considered that a part of what they called the traditionary law of Moses. Traditionary law of Moses is an out-and-out lie. When you look up the word tradition in the New Testament, tradition, it will tell you, the tradition will say, the traditionary law, it's the word paradosis, P-A-R-A-D-O-S-I-S. They will say it is the traditionary law of Moses. That is not the truth. The tradition. The traditionary law is the one that passed down from generation to generation. A new rabbi would come in. He'd add his opinion of what this Hebrew law meant that they translated over the Aramaic. And you'd have some liberal guys saying whatever they wanted to say for their own benefit. And part of the traditionary law was this was this naturalization process. You had to be circumcised, washed in water, and offer two turtle loves. When you get to Jesus' time, these rabbis were called they were called Pharisees. The Pharisees loved be called loved to be called they loved, there in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, they loved to be called rabbi, rabbi, master, master. Jesus said, don't call any man master or your father on earth. And they had a twisted law. I mean, it was twisted. And one of the things they brought in was this naturalization process. That will take me... How much time do I have to see if I can do this? Fourteen. That will take you to Paul's words here. Look at verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Christmas and Gaius. Why would he say that if water was a thing that God wanted us to do? Why? Lest I should say that I had baptized any in mine own name. And I baptized. See where it says I baptized. I baptized is one word in the Greek. It's the word E-B-A-P-T-I-S-S-O. Baptizo is a form of the word baptizo. 
the E in front of a word, according to Mr. Mounts, is what's called an augment. It's something added to the front of the word, and it means I baptized. I did the baptizing, the Holy Spirit didn't do any. Why would Paul say, I thank God, I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, and some of the household of Stephanus, besides, I don't even remember whether I baptized, e baptiza, any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize in water, but to preach the gospel. The beginning of the gospel, according to Mark, the first chapter, verse 1, is prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Prepare the way. Where is the word hodos? That's the beginning of the gospel, beginning of gospel. And Paul said, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, which is prepare you the way. He says, this is Mark 1 and 1. He tells us in Luke 3 and 3, John came preaching the baptism of repentance. John came preaching the baptism of repentance as it was written in the book of Isaiah, it says Esaias, that's the way it's pronounced in the Greek, E-S-A-I-S. Isaiah, the way it's written in the book of Isaiah. The baptism of repentance is prepare you the way of the Lord. It's the same thing as the gospel. Prepare. So what Paul is saying, God didn't send me to wash people in water because... He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Look at that real quick. This all right. And preachers don't even know what to do with this. Well, uh, God didn't send him to dip people in water. No, he didn't send him to dip people in water because that baptism was done away with. It was blotted out. Look over in Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter. I hope I can get into get to the end of this. Philippians, third chapter. Paul is talking about his accolades in the flesh. He said, Wherein some men can boast, I can boast, but I will not boast. Let's look at uh, verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh he hath wherever he might trust in the flesh, I have more than that. Because I was circumcised the eighth day. That was the requirement to be a full-fledged Jew in Israel. And he was of the tribe of Benjamin in southern Judah. He said, I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And touching the law, I was a Pharisee. He believed in the halakha. He was washing people in water. He said, that's why he said God didn't send me to wash people. How do you know he's washing people in water? Let's read the rest of that. Concerning zeal, 
persecuting the church. He was murdering the church. Slaughtering the church in Acts the ninth chapter. Touching the righteousness which is of the law. Blameless. What things were gained to me I counted but lost. Yea, doubtless I counted all these accomplishments but dung that I might gain Christ. Dung is the word skubalon. S-K- it means exactly that. S-K-U-B-A-L-O-N. It means rubbish or dung. I counted being a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. If he was a Pharisee, his father was a Pharisee. And uh, one verse will really show you exactly what this is about. Galatians, the first chapter. Galatians. First chapter. Verse 13. For you have heard of my conversation, my anastrophe, my way of life, anastrophe, my method of living, my behavior. Everybody knew about the Apostle Paul, that he was a killer of Christians. Because when Ananias took him down to Jerusalem, the Apostle said, get him out of here, he'll kill us all. And Ananias said, God has done a work in him more than any of you. And then he says, For he heard of my conversation in time past, talking to the Galatians and the Jews' religions, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Portheo, I ravaged and destroyed and killed Christians. And prophet in the Jews' religion, the Jews' religion is talking about the Pharisees' religion. They're halakha. And he proves that by his words here. Above many mine equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. I was zealous of the paradosis, the traditionary law. So I was running around washing people in water, and God didn't send me to do that. In First Corinthians, the first chapter, he he said, I baptized some of the household of Stephanus. And he said, some others, I don't remember how many, but I thank God I didn't baptize in water any more than that. Ebaptizo means I did the baptizing, not the Holy Spirit. I thank God I didn't do any more than that. You know, I've heard preachers try to explain this, but they don't know anything about halakha and they can't explain it. Oh, you see, Paul uh, was saying, God wants us to baptize, but he didn't want him to baptize. You stupid people. I don't make, blame you for not knowing. I blame the preachers for not knowing anything about the halakha. i got two books here will tell you all about halakha. i got three books that will tell you all about it. Literature of the Sages. They'll tell you all about halakha. Right on the front of this, it says, Oral Torah, Halakha, Mishnah, Tosefta, Talmud, and External Tractates. Literature of the Sages. A sage was supposed to be a wise man. But those Pharisees, which were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, 600 years before Jesus, they didn't know nothing about the truth. You got this set of books here. Magnificent set. This is written by Lightfoot. Commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud and Hebraica. 
I have looked at this book to death and marked it to death. I've got it all marked up. It's falling apart. I'm going to have to get me another set. And I've got this right here. The Halakha began with the yeah, the Halakha and Haggadah. Haggadah couldn't be spoken aloud and the Haggadah couldn't be written down. But they evolved into the Mishnah. And then later on into the Talmud, about 200 A.D. And here's a Mishnah right here. You hear the idiocy of the Pharisees? Read some of this. You can get a Mishnah, M-I-S-H-N-A, that is, what's so funny, they said the Halakha couldn't be written down, but by the time of Christ they started writing it down. It's crazy. They would say, they would say that gleanings, if you were gleaning something, Gleaning is what's left in the field after you're harvesting things. They would say gleanings, if it fell off the back of your hand or if you stuck yourself with a thorn and you accidentally dropped it, you could pick it up and that belonged to the landholder. No, no, no. Doesn't matter. You never glean the corners of the field. Anything that fell on the ground, anywhere it fell, belonged to the poor. They found a way to keep all of their crops or as many of their crops as they could without helping the poor. And that's what the mission will tell you. But that's not one thing that it tells you. They had idiotic, stupid things that they would say in their halakha. I have spent a lot of hours in the Mishnah. I even wrote a bunch of them down. And I don't have time to go through them. I wrote a bunch of things down in this, in this, uh, that come out of the, I don't know what I did with that paper, it's up here. It's just amazing what they say. The Pharisees twisted everything, tells you all about gleanings on page 14, and Leviticus 23, 22 says, you can't pick up any gleanings for any reason. And every little thing they could do to twist God's Word, they did. But you know what? The Baptists are doing that today. They'll tell you how a woman could go out in public. They'll tell you how what they could do as Pharisees to divorce their wife. All she had to do was talk to another man in public, not wear a veil in public. And that was reason for divorce. She could burn the bread and they could say, I divorce you, get out. And they, they didn't even have to give her a bill of divorce. That's another entire story that I have no time. Am I out of time? Two minutes. Two minutes. They'll talk about, about driving a gazelle into the house. And one man can't take it out, but two men can. Stupid. They'd make up some reason for it. If they bathed in a cave, what's bathing in a cave have to do with godliness? I don't have time to read that. Half the darkness overtook a man on the Sabbath. 
A priest wounded his finger. They'll tell you all about what he could do and what he couldn't do. Tells you all about what they did. If an egg was laid on a festival day, the house of Shemai said you could eat it and the house of Halil said you couldn't because the, because the hen was working on the Sabbath. They're insane. They had insane laws. That's why Jesus attacked them when he said, you've heard that it hath been said in Matthew the 5th chapter by the Pharisees and scribes of old time. He's talking about this. It's what they said. Their verbal law. And they said the verbal law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai and held authority over the written law that was written on tables of stone. Jesus would say, you've heard that had been said, but I say, I didn't say any such thing. I was the one that was a mountain with Moses. You liars. He called them liars. He said, you're of the father of the devil. He was the father of lies and so are you. If My series on Halakha, I did a bunch of tapes on it. Mary says, if they, nobody listens to that series on Alaka, they really don't know what the Gospels is about because he's attacking the Pharisees every time he opens his mouth and they're going, we'll kill you. And they finally did. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Truth is wonderful when you we can see it, Lord. Thank you for everything. We pray that you'll give us strength to continue to stand. I pray for the church and those that are watching that you'll deal with their hearts. Those that are believers, cause them to commit to you in your time and your methods and your ways. Lord, I don't even know what to ask you for. Just... If it's according to your mercy and will, let us continue this ministry for years to come. I don't know what to do about opening the church. You have to deal with my heart, Lord. I just don't want somebody to get the coronavirus and die or get real sick. Lord, you know what we need. We trust you to help us. In Christ's name, amen. We fight our battles, Lord. I wish I had time to read out of that Mishnah where there's so many good things and it's just some of it's stupid you're thinking what are these guys thinking are they out of their minds or what no they were trying to manipulate people for themselves just like the Baptists and the Pentecostals if you speak in tongues God will bless you it's dumb I, I had so much more to say on this it's just, if we don't learn what the Greek says, we'll be fooled by the English too. But I'm going to keep teaching from the Greek text and tell you where those guys, and they messed up because their chief head translator was a man named Lancelot Andrews. And he was up to be Pope. 
and he was their chief translator. Lancelot. Of course, Lancelot comes out of King Arthur, and that's part of the Knights of the Round Table, and that is where Catholicism came from. That's a part of the thinly veiled. I just sometimes I don't understand the world not wanting the exact truth. I don't know why I can find these books and find these answers and other people can't. A lot of people will pick up Mr. Mouse and believe everything he says, but I don't. I believe most of it because most of what he's saying is Greek. But when he gives an opinion, well, the orge can be God's wrath as well as man's. No, it can't. It's feminine gender. Why would he say that? It's because he's looking for a shortcut to explain it. And when the Bible says, the orge is of me. They don't want to go far enough to find out what it's really about, you know. They don't want to study enough. I've never heard anybody study the laws of the Pharisees. Now, I've heard a few men mention tradition, but not the paradosis, the traditionary law of Moses. I've heard John MacArthur mention tradition, but I don't know how much he knows. He's never expressed They'll just touch on it and... Touch on it and be gone.